Will you outlast your money? Do you stay awake at night worrying about providing for your family? Are you making the right decisions about your investments? There are many life-changing decisions that arise and questions you want answered when going through divorce or after you've received your settlement. This is the Financially Ever After podcast, where you'll hear stories of women like you and get advice from the industry's top professionals. Here's your award-winning and nationally recognized host, Stacey Francis. Welcome to Financially Ever After. We have a special edition today to talk all about everything that's going on in the financial markets. Everyone has some type of fear or an anxiety, but for women who are going through the divorce process, women who have come out the other side and currently are divorced, this can be a time that's even more frightening to you because so much in your life is already in flux. And this is a nest egg, a nest egg that needs to support you not only today and tomorrow, but for the long haul, the long term. And so many women have reached out to us with questions that I know are going on in your head too. And that's why we wanted to have this special edition podcast just for you to help you understand what the markets are doing, whether or not we're going into a recession, and most importantly, most importantly, what you need to do to protect yourself for your financial well-being. Know that we are always here for you. And this is one of the worst markets, especially for someone who is going through or has been divorced. Because many women during their marriages were not necessarily the ones making those long-term financial decisions with regards to investing and the mixture of stocks and bonds and really in charge of that part. And so for many women, this is really the first time that you've been in charge of your portfolio and you don't necessarily have the years or decades of experience that maybe your spouse had or maybe other friends or family members have. For many women, this is all new. And what we know about things that at the first time of going through them is that it can be that much more anxiety provoking. But my hope and my wish for every woman, whatever your circumstances are, is that today you walk away from this podcast with more knowledge, with an action plan, and most importantly, the peace of mind that you have the tools you need to be financially resilient. Because people who will weather this current storm are the ones who have financial resiliency. So without further ado, I wanna go ahead and get started and share with you some of the big questions that we're hearing from our clients. And 
one of the big questions that people have is whether or not there is a recession coming. Well, interestingly enough, some economists believe that we're actually already in a recession. But before we debate whether or not we're in a recession or not, I think it's really important to understand what a recession really is. And the standards are that as a rule of thumb, we're in a recession if the economy has contracted for two straight quarters. And that means essentially that our GDP, our gross domestic product, which is essentially a, a measure of the economic stability, the economic growth of the United States. If we've seen two quarters, so that would be essentially the first quarter and the second quarter of the year, if we've seen a contraction, essentially growing at a slower pace. Now, if you watch TV, if you put on any channel right now, you would surely walk away with the fact that, uh, or the belief that a recession is intimate. But the truth is, the truth is, is that no one really knows for sure. It's really too early to tell if there is a recession, what the recession is going to look like, and the severity of it. We do know that what's happening with the coronavirus is going to have an impact on our economy. But U.S. Treasury Secretary just came out last week saying that, to be honest, they need another two to three weeks or so to really see how the virus unfolds, to have any sort of idea of what the economic impact of the coronavirus will be. So if we do have a recession, how bad will it be? Well, opinions definitely vary. And we don't have great data on future events. I mean, we don't know necessarily what's going to happen. But what we do have is that we have a lot of great historical information on what's happened in the past. And I believe that the past tells us a lot, that we can look there for clues and also comfort. Why is that? Why do I say comfort? Because there's actually been 11, yes, I will repeat that, we've had 11 recessions since World War II. And on average, they only lasted 11 months. So not significant long periods. The shortest recession was just six months. That was back in 1980, while the longest lasted 18 months. And that was from 2007 through 2009. If you are an adult and you are in your 80s, you've lived through 10 recessions. If you're in your 60s, that number is seven. If you're a 40-year-old, you've already experienced three solid recessions so far. Now, I'm the first to say that no one likes recessions. I feel like recessions are taxes. You have to pay them. But I don't really like taxes. Well, recessions are the same thing, but they are a healthy part of the economic cycle. And that economic cycle is that of expansion to falling into recession. And to me, I look at it as being similar to the weather. Yesterday, it was raining. It was 
really raining hard and I woke up wanting to go for a jog and you know the first thing I did was I sighed and I said I guess I'm not going for a jog and it was a little frustrating to me but at the same time the trees the flowers well they love that and they need that they need that to be able to be healthy and just as nature is not healthy without that rain um, it's the same thing with our economic cycle the economy is expected to fall into recession every once in a while in addition to the expansions that we live through so recession hopefully is not as scary as many of us fear i think the biggest question that we have is is there something i can do to prepare for a recession and there actually are some things that you can do um, the first one is to make sure that you have a well-stocked emergency fund. And that's ideally six months of cash on hand to fund your living expenses. If you don't have this yet, it may be a good opportunity for you to start to build this. For many of us, we've seen our expenses plummet. I know I have. In fact, there's no more taxis, there's no more commuting to work, there's no more lunches out, dinners out. I'm looking at my budget and looked at my current credit card balance that FYI, I pay off every month. And I'm spending in total about 25% of what I spent at this time a month ago. Now, some things don't change, right? You still have your rent, you still have your utilities, you still have your mortgage, but those what we call variable things like eating out, traveling, Ubers, things like that, going to the store, buying clothes for the vast majority, if not everyone listening today, that has dropped. So an important step for you to take, a to-do, after this podcast is to get a clear understanding what your spending is now. And most likely, you're going to be able to put some extra money into that emergency fund. Now, what's the second thing you need to do? If you don't have a fully stocked emergency fund, it may make sense for you to reduce some of your contributions to your retirement plan temporarily and I say temporarily. You can always pick up more contributions at the end of the year, towards the end of the year when things are more clear. But if you have significant money in your retirement plan, but very little that you can get at now outside of it, it makes sense to shift the balance and start to build up that emergency fund in cash. Now, that being said, if you get a match on your 401k contributions from your employer, I urge you to at least put the amount in your retirement plan to get that full match. Because that is free money that your employer is giving you and you don't want to say no to that. So that's something that you can do right now. That is build your emergency fund, get very clear about what your expenses are. Now, we've had some people ask the question, which is a very valid question, 
of, you know, what should I do with my money? And should I use this as an opportunity since the market is so low to get my money working for me? Should I put more money in the market in stocks? Well, it's a great question. And I love your thinking because you're thinking smart about buying low when stocks are low and having your money um, really multiply and, and grow for you faster. But market timing is not really uh, a game that people typically win at. What's important to really think about is what your long-term goals are and when you're going to need this money. You should not be investing with the idea of a short-term quick gain because there most likely is not going to be short-term gains in the very near future. There could be, but there couldn't be too. We just don't know. If you do want to invest more in the stock market, I have four criteria that you have to think about and you have to meet all of these four. Number one, you need to have job security. Know that despite what's going on, that you will have a job in three months, six months. That's number one. Number two, you need to know that your income is not going to be necessarily impacted by this downturn. Number three, you are high interest debt free. That's a fancy way of saying that you don't have credit card debt that you're carrying month to month. All of your high interest debt is paid off and you're in a really good place. And number four, you invest in the stock market only after you fully stocked your emergency fund, double checking that you have at least 12 months of cash on hand to fund your living expenses. Then you can increase your 401k contributions. You could maybe take the extra cash after that's left over after you fully stock that emergency fund, money that might be sitting on the sidelines and invest it. But remember, this money is for the long-term. It's for long-term investing. It means that you do not need this money in five years or more. But I wanna tell you, all investors need to be prepared to stomach more turmoil in the markets in the near term. It's like flying a kite in gale force winds. No matter how good you are at launching that kite, you're actually not gonna really know where it's, where it's gonna go. So it's really important that whatever you do with either new money in the market that you put in or just your current investments, that you continue to look at that long-term time horizon. And if you're having a hard time doing that, one of the best things you can do is to work with an advisor who can help you make those good, healthy investment decisions so that you stay ahead and have your portfolio be there and grow the way that it needs to. So we also got another question that you might be thinking about too. What's the worst case scenario? Well, we try not to think of that because we don't have that data. We don't know what is necessarily 
going to happen. But if you're a person who likes to know what that worst case scenario is so that they can get comfortable with it to be able to you know, move ahead with, with less fear, we'll go there. The worst case scenario is that the coronavirus triggers a global recession. But I have to tell you this, we came into this situation with one of the strongest economies we've had in decades. Economic researchers predict that any recession that we do have, that it will be what they say, quote unquote, fairly shallow. But regardless of the severity of the recession, this market downturn that we're going through should be something that you've already prepared for. Because every investor should have a solid allocation to top quality bonds, like we do. In times like these, the bonds cushion the portfolio. They, in fact, hold up and help support the value of the portfolio. Bonds in these times tend to do extremely well. In fact, in the Great Recession, starting in February 2008 through February 2009, where we saw stocks plummet much further than we've experienced today, stocks during that time plummeted 38% plus, High quality bonds weren't down. In fact, they were up two percentage points. As advisors, we think about long-term and we are overconfident, extremely confident that the stock market is going to bounce back because we've seen the stock market go through other tough times over and over. And as I mentioned, if you're in your 80s, you've lived through a major recession, not once, twice, three, five, 10, but 11 times. If you are not sure how you're invested, you need to open up one of your recent monthly reports. You need to reach out to your advisor because one of the biggest mistakes we see women make is not truly understanding how they're invested. And for many women going through divorce, we see that their money is invested in a way that's not appropriate for them. Having a 90% stock and 10% bond portfolio could have been right for you when you were married, with maybe two solid incomes coming in, significant assets, thoughts that the money wasn't needed until retirement, and maybe that's 15, 20, or 30 years away. However, for most divorced women, well, our income falls dramatically after divorce. And many times we need to start to take out withdrawals from our portfolio. We need to have our portfolio send us a paycheck, in particular to supplement after child support or spousal support runs out. And so that high exposure to stocks, maybe 90% stocks in your portfolio that you had before, actually now is no longer appropriate and can be dangerous to your financial security. So you need to make sure that you have the right mixture of stocks and bonds. 
If you don't have that right mixture and you're seeing your portfolio drop significant amounts, it means most likely that you have too much in stock. So what do you do? What do you do now? And this is one of the questions we got that I wanted to share with you. This is our fourth question that we're going to be talking about today. And this is a woman who essentially received this portfolio through her divorce settlement and had left it invested the way it was invested before. And she's seen the value plummet. And she wrote, I don't have long-term to recover from this. When do I pull out? When do I pull the emergency cord? It's a really important question. And you may have thought about this too, of do I just sell and go to cash? Well, it can feel like a lot of people are doing that and selling because we've seen the market go down. But we did significant research. And what we found is actually individual investors like you are actually not selling and have really remained steadfast in their exposure to stocks, despite everything that's going on with the coronavirus. Those that are selling, those that are driving the market down, are more so institutional investors. And institutional investors are actually what they sound like. They're institutions, they're uh, commercial banks, they're hedge funds, they're insurance companies, uh, pension companies, mutual funds. And two wonderful researchers looked at this, Dennis and Dion Strickland. They found that actually these institutional or professional investors tend to be the ones who exit the market fastest when a market goes down. Now, why is it? Is it because they're so smart? Mm, not necessarily. And I'm actually going to be able to show you a little bit of how you can outperform them. The reason why they do it is because of self-preservation. Imagine if your job is to pick stocks and bonds and the way you're compensated is how they do. The biggest risk these people have is being out of step with the market and having losses. And if they have losses, their clients will fire them. They have this unbelievable need to also bring in new money to their mutual fund, new money to their hedge fund. And so when performance goes down, those are the ones that they tend to sell very quickly because they're not punished as badly if they sell too quickly than someone who might have stayed in the market and staying in the market doesn't pan out for them. Vanguard did a really interesting study. So if you look around at the people outside your window, if you see a few people out there, on average, the way they have their money invested is this. Vanguard found that 75%, three quarters of their money are in stocks. And then the other quarter, 25% are in bonds. They sell only about 10% of that money each year. So buying and selling. So really not a whole lot. But those professional institutional investors, they end up selling six times more frequently. And what this results to is you can see um, that people who sell 
and trade more frequently actually underperform. Betterment did a fantastic study and looked at all of these different research firms and looked at what the market performance was and how day traders performed. And what they found is that day traders perform about six and a half percent worse than the market. So how do you know what you should be doing now? Well, we don't have a crystal ball to tell you what the stock market's going to do next week, let alone a month or three months or six months from now. But what we do know is that we can go back to history. And we looked at the 12 most recent epidemics, HIV AIDS, SARS, avian flu, swine flu, cholera, Ebola, Zika. And what we found is of all these epidemics, only one, only one caused the stock market to still be negative six months later. It was really fascinating because the impact of epidemics on the stock market historically have been very, very short-lived. Now, you can see in all of these situations, the market was back. In fact, in some cases, roaring back with double-digit returns within six months. A good example is back in January 2016, the Zika virus had a brief impact on stocks, but within six months, the S&P 500 was up over 12%. In 12 months, it was up over 17, almost 17.5%. So while the history books tell us that the negative impact is pretty short-lived, you may have a question about this situation. There's a lot about this situation that is different. This situation affects us differently because we're living through it. And I don't know what part of the country you're in, but we in New York have essentially taken to our homes. Everyone's working remotely. Children are out of school and also starting to learn remotely. Things that we most likely had a very hard time even comprehending four or five months ago are happening. So I don't want to be foolhardy to say that this epidemic is the same as previous impacts on the market because we know that every situation is different. But what we do know is that the stock market will come back and that going into this situation we had very, very strong and solid fundamentals. So should you rip the cord and use your parachute, meaning should you sell all of your stocks and go to cash? The answer is no, especially because if you do so, you are going to be selling when your stocks have sustained most likely large losses. And because you've sold, you've 
locked in those losses and you've taken away any opportunity you could possibly have to be able to rebound and bounce back. So there was two more questions that I wanted to share because I know that this can be different and there are different things to think about, particularly if you're going through divorce. And one of the women wrote into us and asked, are there any implications for individuals and couples going through divorce? And I have to tell you, yes, there are. So investment assets are often valued when litigation begins. And if they appreciate or depreciate between the time that the litigation started and when the divorce is finally granted, a court can make adjustments. However, this process can be complicated, it can be expensive to go back to court, and there can be a long delay. Um, this is an issue that we're dealing with right now, and I wanted to give you a tool that will help you sidestep ever having to go back to court. One way to make this more simple is to make sure that your attorney adds language into your agreement that really discusses and accounts for any increases or decreases in the value of your investments. With something as volatile as the stock market right now, it is imperative to be careful and pay attention to this. So be careful and pay attention to how your divorce lawyer words your divorce settlement agreement their choice of words could have a very significant impact on your finances. So let's say yesterday you agreed that you're going to take 500,000 of the $1 million stock portfolio that you own jointly with your spouse. Now, right now, stocks are pretty depressed values, very low. If by the time that portfolio gets divided and those investments increase in value significantly, which is a very strong possibility, you may only get 500,000 as per your agreement. But the account now could be valued at 1.3 million. So you can see wording is really critically important. So if the intention of that agreement is for half, then make sure that your divorce agreement says that you get half of that account or 15% of that account. Do not use dollar amounts. This is something that will help and make it easier in the sense that when the market goes up, each party in the couple shares from the market gains. And if the market goes down, well, each party of the couple shares also in the losses, which feels a lot more fair. So these are some things to think about. Thinking in percentages, not in dollar amounts, so that you can make sure that your agreement is as robust as possible, especially in times where the market is moving so significantly day to day. In a lot of scenarios, it's good to consult with a financial advisor. Even at this very small detail, it, as you can imagine, can have a really big impact. 
because you just don't want to have any unintended result of one spouse being allocated a vastly disproportionate amount of the investments versus the other. And our final question and what I wanna leave you with today is something that I think we all need wherever we are. And she wrote in, this lady, um, her name is Cynthia. She said, I'm really stressed. How do I cope with watching all of the money I have, my nest egg, disappear? Wow. So my hope is that not all of your nest egg has disappeared and that you have a nice mixture of stocks and bonds. But understandably, the volatility that we're seeing on Wall Street has many individuals on edge about the health of their investments. But for a woman going through a divorce, this anxiety can be particularly acute. Investing is really challenging enough, but if you bring emotion into the equation, it becomes even harder. And we humans, well, we're emotional beings. That's what makes us really special and, and human. But often it can cause us to make bad decisions and making decisions relying on our feelings rather than using objective information to make rational decisions. So why do we make irrational decisions when it comes to our investments? And the short answer is the amygdala, or what I call the lizard brain. So human brains have evolved and we have an area, it's an almond-shaped tissue called the amygdala, and it controls the fight or flight scenario. And over time, we haven't really needed this part of our brain as much. There's not, not really lions out there, although I will tell you, I was jogging up in Vermont this spring and funny enough, ran into a bear and definitely my amygdala, thank goodness it's there, it still works. And it told me to get the heck out of there, which I did. But the average day-to-day, we don't really need this part of what we call our lizard brain, but it's still there. It is running in full gear, worrying about everything you could ever worry about. When we're not stressed, when we're calm, our brain functions beautifully. The prefrontal cortex, that's the part right in front of your brain, and I know you can't see me, but it's right in the very front of your brain. It's in charge of reasoning, and it actively communicates with your amygdala, and it tells that amygdala, all right, hang on, this is not a line. You do not need to flip out, but for some people, and particularly investors, and what we're seeing right now, that amygdala is actually dominating and not allowing us to have that prefrontal cortex where our rational decision-making, our rational reasoning occurs. It's essentially breaking down that communication chain. And the reason why this is happening is because we're being bombarded by messages. I mean, think about it. You turn on the TV and you look at CNN, you look at your social media feed, look at the newspaper, and there are all these messages, and many of these messages are really frightening. And the reason why they're frightening is because guess what? Bad news sells. Bad news sells advertisements because it's what people read. So 
what I need you to know is that you need to stop bombarding yourself with this information from the economists, the strategists, the analysts, your neighbors, your coworkers, your bloggers, the newsletter writers, the journalists, and other investment wannabes. Because too much information in certain situations is not good. There's a wonderful famed investor, very well known for his good decision making. His name is William O'Neill, and he summed it up really nicely uh, by saying, since the market tends to go in the opposite direction of what the majority of people think, I would say that all of these people you hear on TV shows are you giving you, 95% of these people on these TV shows are giving you their personal opinion. And personal opinions are almost always worthless. Facts and markets are far more reliable. I'm not saying that investors are out of the woods, but one thing remains certain and will always remain certain. The ever-changing stream of fearful headlines, they're going to continue. And we need to limit our exposure to these messages to keep our brain in check and be able to make good decisions. So here is some parting advice. And it's an easy mnemonic to remember. It's the word gains, gains. The G gyrations of up and down in the stock market are normal. They've always happened. This has happened before. A, allocation is key. And that's just the fancy way of saying that your mixture between stocks and bonds is the number one predictor of how you're going to weather this storm. I, invest for the long term. And that means 5, 10, 20, 30 years down the line. N, never let your emotions drive decisions because that's moving from the amygdala and not using your rational decision-making in your prefrontal cortex. And S, the final letter in the word gains. The one thing you have control over is savings. And savings is most important. I understand that there's a lot going on for you. And what's most important is to take care of yourself. Move your body, get fresh air as much as you can. And we want to be able to support you with that. We have a fantastic opportunity for you to join in our weekly virtual workouts. Every Thursday at 5.30 Eastern Standard Time, we will be there with fantastic workout trainers to help you move your body, stay physically, mentally fit. Because we know if you're physically and mentally fit, it will help you make good financial decisions for you too. And we're all dealing with a lot of stress. And if you're at home and you have kids at home too, it's harder. What can be even worse is if you're at home and the kids are out of the house and you're alone. You need to take care of yourself. You need to have community. And so 
please do take advantage of that. We'll be sending out on our newsletter uh, invite to our virtual workouts. And also feel free to email me, stacy at francisfinancial.com, and I can send you a personal invitation to those virtual workouts, as well as give you an opportunity to ask any questions that you might have. I can't thank you enough. And I just want to say again how blessed I am to be part of your life. And thank you for listening in to Financially Ever After.